be upfront and honest about about what I'm about to say. Uh, when I started this podcast uh, about, I guess, three and a half weeks ago now, uh, I figured maybe if we had it rolling, like really, really rolling for a few years, you know, we might get some guests of, of some renown. Uh, I did not think that within the first month of, of doing this, uh, that we would be uh, lucky enough to have someone on our airwaves, so to speak, that uh, I consider one of the, you know, three or four best NBA writers out there today. But that's who we have. And, of course, I am not going to introduce him by his full name because I may never have this opportunity again. So, without further ado, what up, Beck? <laughs> what up, Jonathan? I, it's, nobody can resist it. It's 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 become such a, uh entrenched thing now in um, NBA podcasting world um radio whatever like it's just it's irresistible people can't help themselves but to say it i'm fine with it i'm good i will always try to answer with the, the what up back uh, <laughs> except for the occasional somebody recognizes me in an arena or something and they throw it at me and i'm in another like mental space and i'm not and i'll just be like oh hey <laughs> and then and then i feel like i've somehow let them down like if i don't if i don't like re, you know uh re respond to the what up with a with a a, a uh equal what up I um I feel like I've screwed up the whole thing, so I, I got to be more on my toes. But it it keeps it it keeps it honest, it keeps it fresh, it makes you feel like if you've received the what up back, that you've really earned something. Um, <laughs> you know, and I for one look forward to sitting down with my daughter, ten or twenty years from now, and watching one of those like VH1, you know, remember the 2010s, and it's like you know what up back was that cultural touchstone, uh, you know, back, back <laughs> in the day. The case? If that's the case, then the state of the culture in <laughs> uh will be uh, uh, sad indeed. Well, at, at the rate we're going, I'm not going to make any assumptions about where we'll be in, in 10 or so years. Um, okay, so um, just a little bit of backstory for our listeners who don't know. Um, Howard came out with a wonderful uh, piece in which he looked at the Clippers. Um, it dropped uh, yesterday morning, I believe. Um, and did a really, really in-depth look at how Steve Ballmer, um, the gentleman who bought the Clippers a few years ago, has kind of taken the Clippers and, as he says, tried to make them not the Clippers anymore. <laughs> and if you haven't read it yet, stop what you're doing, check it out. It's uh, a phenomenal piece. Uh, as a follow-up to that, uh, Howard went on to uh, Bill Simmons' podcast, and they had a, a spirited discussion about KD and where he might end up or not end up and. Uh, the Knicks came up, at which point I wrote a response piece, and uh, Howard was nice enough to, to respond to my response, and now here we are. So I'm going to start with actually a, a mea culpa, um, because we've interacted a few times on Twitter before, Howard, and yep. I, I, you, you know, will shoot something out there that might get under the skin of, of Knicks fans, and I kind of mm -hmm. have responded, and I've realized something. Um, over the last couple of days, as the whole uh, Sprintgate thing with KP has been going on, Knicks fans are a sensitive bunch. <laughs> uh, would you, you live in the city, you covered this team for several years, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to um, trivialize this um, this particular uh, uh reference point but it's 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 like it's like sports fan ptsd um you stole my god damn, you stole my term i was going to do a whole ptsd skit next but you stole it from me that's okay uh, sorry um but it well it, but it just shows you like whether it's from my side of it as the outsider observing it or from your pro point of view being in the that nick fan bubble like that 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 feels like what it is like there's just you guys have been burned so many times and had um, you know, just so much um, thrown at you and just so many disappointments and uh, crushing moments of the last 20 years um, is tough. And it's funny because, you know, on the one hand, Knicks fans more than anybody will will talk about how they would just love to burn it all down. And, they, you know, they, I don't think there'd be a bigger celebration in this city 
uh, other than the Knicks winning a championship, would be Dolan selling the team. Like, I think there might actually be parading in the streets. But um, at the same time, when it's somebody from the outside like me who's who's pointing this out or, you know, taking a few jabs here and there, the Knicks fans get uh, start going, um, you know, Stockholm syndrome on me and and defending, you know, the, 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 the team's honor, which I get. Like, it feels like it's personal. Like, if, if somebody like me, if you're perceiving that my criticism or my – kind of sarcastic observation is, is somehow a, an attack, then you feel like as a Knicks fan that it's somehow directed at you. You feel defensive on behalf of your team, which I get. But when it, where it regards Dolan, I feel like it's a very complicated um, mix of, of, of reactions and emotions for Knicks fans because on the one hand, they know damn well, most of them, there's, there's, there's that one little pocket of just delusional fans who actually think he's a good owner and, and defend him, which I will never understand. Um, but the vast majority of Knicks fans are, you know, live in the real world and understand that He's an impediment, not an asset, and he's something to overcome for the franchise, and, and maybe that'll be the case. Um, but it is, it, yeah, there's a sensitivity there. So, you know, I, the way I think about it is kind of like, you know, your, your drunk Uncle Joe that comes over on Thanksgiving and Christmas and maybe one or two other holidays, and it's like you could talk about him behind his back or maybe even to his face because he's your uncle. But if someone else, a guest, you know, uh, cousin's girlfriend comes in your house and is like, uh, I, I don't know about this guy. You, you, you know, you're like, how dare you? It's this is this is our uncle. How dare you besmirch them? Except, you know, I think the difference here is that, um, you know, with Dolan and we're going to get into him, the the actions that he some of the actions that he's taken over the years have really it, it makes it seem as if. You know, he, he has not always had the franchise's best interests at heart. But I guess what I want to get into today is is how much, if at all, has that changed? And has that change resonated at all in kind of the perception? But before we get to that, you covered this team with the Times for seven years, correct? Uh, almost nine years. It, it was, was almost eight, nine, sorry. Yeah, it was eight, eight years, and then I switched to the Nets beat when they first moved to Brooklyn, and then about two-thirds of the way through the season, and that was the 54-win season. They yanked yes. me back onto the Knicks to, to close out that season. Okay. Um, you know, there are some fans who are very in tune with, with how things used to go. Um, some fans are less so. So I, I'm going to throw it to you. Um, as a media member covering the team during some of those darker times where – there was, um, shall we say, a more stringent restriction on access and things of that nature. Um, you know, what was what was that like? I mean, it was it was not an enjoyable um, time. It was not an enjoyable team to cover, really, at any point in there. And look, there were several elements there. One, they were mostly losing. And, you know, I always say as a reporter, you know, I have no emotional investment. I don't care if a team is winning or losing. I just need them to be interesting and hopefully cooperative. Um, so you can you can cover a, a terrible team and have it still be gratifying as a as a reporter as a journalist. And you can cover a great team and and have it not be enjoyable at all potentially, um, just depending on the environment and personalities and, and whether there's good stories to tell and, and how willing guys are to to tell to tell their stories. Um, so I always detach win loss record from my own enjoyment um, of covering a team. Sure. With the Knicks during that period of time, part of it was the losing, and, and after a while the losing does affect you because if the environment is miserable, if everybody's miserable that you're talking to on a day-to-day -day basis, that just makes you – know, you're all people. You, you can't help but be affected a little bit by the environment. Um, so there was that. But you know there was also just utter mayhem. You know, And I always point to the, the 2005-06 season as, as the, the pinnacle of this where maybe the Knicks have had worse seasons statistically or win-loss-wise, but they've never had it worse than – Larry Brown, the coach, fighting with Isaiah Thomas, the president, who's fighting with Stephon Marbury, the starting point guard, who's fighting with Larry Brown, the coach. Like, you had this terrible, like, you know, three-way um, battle, and then a, a, a bunch, like a billion things happened that season. It was just and, a complete— And I, I actually—just I, yeah. to, to jump in, I was lucky enough to interview David Lee a few weeks ago, and the word he used to describe that season was chaos. I believe he said utter chaos. So, yeah, 100% right. It, it, it was it was awful. So that, to me, that that year, we don't need to, to go into chapter and verse on that season or any any year during that span. And I covered them from 2004 through essentially 2013. Um, it, it's that that year was emblematic of what I thought was the Knicks at their worst, worst competitively, worst 
as as a as a as a franchise in terms of, of uh, their culture or the, the 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 toxicity of that culture. Um, and then on top of that, of course, and I think what you're alluding to and asking me the question is like, yeah, as a reporter, they made it as hard as possible in general, the Knicks, because of uh, all these media policies that involved, you know, uh, you know, players and coaches couldn't talk without, you know, a PR person present. And they were sitting there tapping on their on their at the time, Blackberries um, to uh, take oh. notes on, on what the players were saying. Of course, <laughs> um, everyone was being spied on all the time. Uh, team personnel, even, even down to like the massage therapist would be like, I'm sorry, I can't say hello if I see you in the hallway, but I'll get yelled at. That I, is, a, that's a scary thought. Um, and it's, you know, for as uncomfortable of a working environment as it was for you every day, I can imagine what it was like for, you know, for some of the employees. Um, you know, and the reason I thought of that was because when you, when you're on with Bill, you know, you brought up kind of the different feelings of some of the different teams in the league. And you noted that, even until today, there's like a, a tension um, that exists there. And I, I, the first thought that popped into my head was, have you been there this year since since Fisdale has has come aboard? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, listen, I, I, I live here, so uh, I try to get to as many Knicks and Nets home games as I can, you know, partially to catch teams coming through, partially just, to, you know, to check in. And, you know, it's, it's different when you're not in the day-to-day. So, it's you know, massive disclaimer here. I'm not driving up to Greenberg every day to go to practice. I'm not going to Knicks shoot-arounds. I'm not at every media session. And if I do go to the games, I'm almost never in the Knicks locker room because I don't need to be. Um, I'm not covering games anymore. I'm, you know, I, I do longer features. I do some columns here and there. You sure. know, I, I do my other stuff, podcasts, radio, whatever. I don't have to be there for all, all the scrums, and so I'm not. I've, I've seen enough of that in my time. Um, but everything I've heard from – you know, the beat guys, the New York media is that things have certainly lightened up the last couple of years. Um, things are definitely better than they were. It's still not as as uh, as good as a lot of teams in terms of, of access or just general trust and atmosphere and, and just, uh, you know, giving people more latitude to just kind of do their jobs and giving your employees latitude to just have to just chit chat. But I can tell you, like when I come to a game and it's pregame and we're all kind of loitering on the edges of the court in the old days, in the worst of times, you couldn't even have a casual conversation with somebody, like I say, without them basically saying like, I can't talk to you, like I'll, I'll be in trouble. And they're, they're running the other direction. Um, now, whether it's bumping into, you know, somebody from the front office or, you know, coaching staff, scouts, whoever may be around on a given night, even Steve Mills and Scott Perry themselves, they're willing to just like shoot the shit, which is great. Like it's back to, it's, it's almost to normal. <laughs> it's, you know, and normal depends on the team, but it's, it's uh, a much, I think, looser environment than it was. It, it, I think they're still managing quite a bit in terms of, of trying to, when it comes to official interviews, I think they're still managing things quite a bit, but it's not nearly as uh, oppressive, I would say, as, as it once was. But again, I'm not there on a day-to-day basis, so I don't know, you know, you know what the beat writers are, are getting or not getting um, on a day-to-day basis from players. So what you just said is, you know, and again, God knows I'm not covering the team, um, but just from my interactions with the beat guys and from uh, JB, my partner in Nick's film school, from his interactions with some of the beat guys, that's kind of the image that, that we're getting from the outside looking in. So I think that's a good sign and it's encouraging. Um, and But at the same time, and you opened this you know discussion with it, it, it comes back to Dolan. And as much as, as a Knicks fan, uh, a glass half full Knicks fan, eternally optimistic Knicks fan, I wish I could sit here and say, you know, you never know, maybe he's changed. The WFAN thing happened earlier this year, right? So that to me is an indication like, okay, this is still someone that has certain what's the word insecurities would that be a fair word to use i'm sorry say again so so with dolan you know i I was referencing the the wfan thing that earlier this year where his uh, i think you actually tweeted it out oh yeah yeah about uh yeah yeah no i know what you're talking about yeah with the knicks and rangers not being allowed on so clearly he still has maybe some of the same you know viewpoints uh about stuff that he had back then I guess my question is is this ultimately and and this is what I wonder because I know myself as a as a human being like I'm thinking of like an ex-girlfriend almost if someone that you've been with and you've had to spend day in and day out with for so long puts you through you know utter hell 
if you go back and you think about that person and you, you know, want to present that person to the outside world, if someone asks you about them, inevitably, like I have someone in my mind that I don't care if this person, you know, cured cancer and won a Nobel Prize. If someone asked me about her, I'm going to be like, yeah, she's a, a terrible human being and she's never going to get her stuff together. And I, I get the sense sometimes that anyone who covered the Knicks on a day-to-day -day basis during the bad times, um, is it even possible to put forth a completely, you know, unbiased view of the team moving forward? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And I know, listen, because I because I spend too much time on Twitter and because I have a lot of followers from New York, um, you know, from my Knicks days or or just in general, a lot of NBA fans here, I get a lot of that or a fair amount of it. And I understand it. Um, it's wrong. It, like if, if, if anybody believes that any uh, of my observations or analysis of the Knicks, um, especially if, if you view it as, as being a, a negative uh, statement or judgment about the Knicks, if you believe it's because I personally have some animus toward Jim Dolan or the organization, no, it's it's just not it doesn't work that way. Um, on a professional level, having covered that team, I will never um, forget the fact that those were some really rough, often unpleasant years. Um, as a person who paid to analyze the game and, and just assess the landscape of the league on a day-to-day -day basis and have been doing it for, this is now my 22nd season doing it. I mean, shit, I've been burned by any number of, of, teams, players, coaches, whatever, we, it happens. Like you have the, the, the relationships ebb and flow. Um, guys that I get along with great are guys that I, I might have been motherfucked by at a different <laughs> point in time. And good, I can think good of Good choice of verb there. Um, thank you. Um, but I can think of a few offhand. Like it's, it's never personal. It's, it's never, ever personal. Um, but when it comes to Dolan, the, the, the complexity here in, in, in this conversation is this. I know enough. And by the way, Dolan was barely ever around us. Like the first couple of years, he would do a, a preseason sit down with the beat writers and then those stopped. Um, so he's barely ever available. So it's not something personal with the man. Like I, I just I have known multiple generations now, if I can refer to him that way, of, of Knicks and Garden employees who have left, who are completely different people the next time I see them after they've left, because working there can be miserable. It's So again, this is not about me being the interloper as a reporter, I, I spend a few minutes here, a few minutes there around the team. It's not the same as the people who have uh, had to work in that environment, especially when it was at its worst. And I think it's, I think it's, again, I think it's better now. I don't think it's necessarily as good as it is in some other places, but it's better now. But um, he's, and I don't want to get into a whole like, uh, you know, Jim Dolan. No, of uh, course not. Take down here, but uh, suffice to say, it has not been, in general, a healthy environment in which uh, for, for people to work in, um, to express themselves in, to make their opinions known. Um, and I mean on basketball matters. Um, it's He's not known for, and again, I'm not going to get into details. He's not known for treating people particularly well. Um, he's obviously not known for being uh, somebody who's, who's um, strong in his convictions about the way to run a team because he's all over the map. And so even just from a basketball standpoint, the volatility – and dysfunction of that franchise has been something that's held them back for years. And, but point being this, um, I, it's been, you know, what now five years since I covered the Knicks on a full-time basis. Yeah. Um, I don't care. I'm not there every day. All this stuff. I like, I almost like feel bad when I walk into that press room and I see some of the guys and I walk out and like, see ya. Like I don't have to deal with whatever's going on in a given day. Again, I'm not talking about now, but more like a few years ago when it was, was still, I think uh, a little uh, tenser there. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be out of that, but I also, that, but, but that's why I don't carry any of that with me. Like I don't, I don't care. Um, and something I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut the bottom line, the bottom line is this. If I'm saying in the course of say the Bill Simmons podcast, or in any other venue that I think that Dolan is a an an, an anchor is 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 a a net negative uh, for that franchise when it comes to recruiting top executives, top coaches, top players. I'm saying it based on one a little of my own insight in having covered a lot of people who worked for the man and worked for that organization, but also because I cover the whole league and I know how people view the Knicks as a franchise and. You know, 
I can't d- predict where Kevin Durant may go or, or predict what any given player might be willing to take a chance on uh, in free agency and the trade-offs that they may make. But I can say, if I were Kevin Durant's agent or anybody else's, this is not a place I would steer, guys. Like I hate to say that, and Knicks fans are going to probably kill me for that, but it's just I know enough about the way that organization is that I wouldn't trust it with with my own career if I were a player or if I were an agent trust entrust my client to them um, because for all the advantages of being in New York, there's all these disadvantages the way that the, the Knicks have traditionally operated. And this is, you know, I'm not saying that, that Steve Mills and, and Scott Perry haven't uh, done a good job so far in trying to get them on a, on a healthier track, but the owner's still the owner. And a lot of the people uh, who work in that front office have been there through multiple administrations and they're Dolan's guys. And as long as that kind of permanent, I've called the deep state uh, is, is there, I, I think that there are, I, I would always be a little suspicious of them. And again, that's not personal. That's me evaluating well, it as a professional reporter who has covered this market and the rest of the NBA for a long time. Look, you said it yourself. You, you know, your observations, I don't, you know, if anybody has ever accused you of, of being untruthful and things that you have observed, they're wrong because, you know, I followed you for a long time and that's not something you would ever do. And to your point about the way things are in the NBA and like the difference between Dolan and other owners, again, all anybody has to do is read the bomber piece that you put out and you'll see an example of an owner who is an asset in the room. Is Dolan ever going to be that? I think it's safe to say no. Um, I guess where where my and I don't even want to call it a, a sticking point is you've alluded to it a few times, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but essentially, like you've said a few times, up until the last year or so, um, Dolan still owns the team. However, it's been I want to say four years, five years since he's interfered with any basketball operations. Now, of course, for most of those, it was Phil Jackson in charge, and that was its own kind of unique disaster. But since he's butted out, and since Phil has been gone, it seems as if, and again, I'm not there every day. You, you're Even though you're not there every day, you're there a lot more than, than me and all the people listening here. How long is it going to take for that narrative to really take shape because the way I look at it is this, you know, we have, uh, you know, a situation yesterday that came up uh, or the last two days with this whole Porzingis, you know, uh, running and and the fizz thing and and I don't need to get into it. But years ago, that's the type of thing that would have blown up with the Knicks and Madison Square Garden and it just would have been bad. It would have been really bad. And now – because of the people that they've put in place, I think, I mean, again, it's my own opinion, it's a different time. Um, and things are a little bit, as you talked about earlier, with the feel of the, you know, even the pregame being a little bit different. I, to me, things are changing, but I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to get that viewpoint from people who have been around this this team for so long or have ever been around the team because there's such a track record of it being a disaster. Uh, am I off base in, in thinking that maybe there's a chance that him being out of the picture, and again, not talking about him changing as a person, but just him being away from it all. Isn't there something to that? It's a really interesting question. Um, what I've, one of the things I've noticed, um, again, via Twitter, because it's such a brilliant conveyor of uh, you know, clarity and, and oh yes. Um, no, but, but it's interesting to me that um, a, a relatively calm twelve-month span has convinced Knicks fans that everything has somehow changed. And I, I hate to sound so snarky about it, but I, I don't. It does understand. sound a little snarky. I'm not gonna lie, a little snarky. It's a little. Well, I think that it goes back to the PTSD thing. I think Knicks fans are so uh, just needing things to be better that they might be putting too much stock in a, in, in the relative calm of the last 12 months. We might be a hundred percent. Right. Um, certain fundamental things have not changed. And let me go, go through a few of these. Um, one is that they had an opportunity last year to hire David Griffin yep. or another GM of that caliber. And I was reason- very critical of that, by the way, when they did not make that hire. And I have a feeling you're going to bring up the reason 
which the, is the worst part of it. The reason is that that is that David Griffin and others could not uh, convince Dolan to give them the autonomy to do what they needed to do, which is to probably clean house. Uh, I don't want to you know, assume too much on the part of, of Grip or no, anybody sure. else, but I think I think the the idea anybody coming in wants to not only hire their own guys, but not be obligated to keep all these other guys. This deep state that I referred to, there are a lot of you would be surprised at the number of of uh, people working in the front office in various capacities, not not the high level jobs, but like various jobs within that uh, that operation, basketball operations, scouting everything who have been there through multiple administrations and who are viewed essentially as just Dolan loyalists. And that has not changed. So just because you don't hear from Jim Dolan as much, or just because he said five years ago when he hired Phil Jackson and now I'm, or four years ago, now I'm getting out of the way. Okay. Well, look, there's still a mistake of having hired Phil and and look, you know, my, and that was a huge like, mistake. Yeah. I, I, I like Phil a lot. I, I, I covered him for five years in LA. Um, I have a good relationship with with him in general, professionally. Otherwise, uh, I never thought he should be hired as a team president. Like I didn't think that that was something he was qualified to do, unless he came in with an experienced, longtime GM under him. But he didn't. He had Steve Mills, who also had never run basketball operations. Um, so it was it was it was not a good decision. So Jim Dolan made a bad decision in hiring Phil. So giving him credit for pushing Phil out the door is a little disingenuous, or at least overlooks why Phil was there in the first place. Um, if you look over the last ten years, and I, I try to do a quick and dirty accounting here, the Knicks have had five people running basketball operations over a ten year span, changing on average, of course, every two years. Now that includes Steve Mills twice, but it's because he was appointed. The, the guy just months before they instead hired Phil. So they went from Donnie Walsh to Grunwald to Steve Mills to Phil Jackson and back to Steve Mills. In that time, they've also had, and I'm not even counting Rambus here, they've had five different head coaches. I won't count Kurt because he was an interim guy. And, and you know, they, when you're just standing in and you weren't hired to do the job, I don't think it's fair to count. But five GMs or, or heads of basketball operations and five coaches in a 10-year span I looked at, at the rest of the league as much as I could could kind of just just jot down. No one else has has had ten total co- head coaches. I, I think that's I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. Now others have come close, but these are not the teams you want to be in the same breath with. It's Sacramento and Phoenix. Um, like you don't want to be in the sentence with the other dysfunctional teams. By the way, it's Cleveland also, and they also won a championship in that span. But I've often that's said, a bad oh, example because they were lucky yeah. enough to be a team right. in a state where the greatest right. player of all time was born. So. Right, right. If, if LeBron's never born in Akron, he's never going back. To, like again, Dan Gilbert, low key, not a good owner. Like <laughs> he stepped in shit. Yeah, yeah. let's call it what so, it is. Um, so anyway, point being, the the Knicks have had an incredible amount of, of just uh, volatility in the last ten years, and even in the last few years. Um, so you we to to assume that things all changed in July of 2017 when Steve Mills replaced Phil Jackson and they hired Scott Perry. No, like it was just you know five minutes ago that they fired Hornacek and hired Fisdale. Like they uh, people's memories have become. Very, very short with regard to this. So, um, but in fairness, of- in, in fairness, yeah. that if they had fired Hornacek or if Perry had fired Hornacek as soon as he came aboard, that probably would have been looked at as a pretty short-sighted decision in its own right. Wouldn't you agree? Um, maybe. Uh, I, it, it's hard to say. I don't want. I, I honestly, I don't know. It's fifty-fifty. Let's. I, say. It could have been looked at as decisive. It could have been looked at as you're not our guy, and and, and we're, this team's foundering anyway. So let's just move on. Okay. Uh, who knows right. how. I honestly don't know. Um, so, but along with that, so let's talk about the one year that they overlapped, that they kept Hornacek. It was very clear that there was not organizational unity uh, and clarity of purpose from the front office through the coaching staff. Because, Agreed. as you know, as as a Knicks fan, and I, I I don't know which camp you were in last season, but I think most Knicks fans, and, and I, again, as the outsider, as an analyst, thought the best thing to do last season was um, – basically tank, give all the minutes you can to Frank Nielakina and develop him, um, Hernan Gomez before they traded him, make it about the young guys. This is this is, this team is not about uh, Emmanuel Moutier going forward. This team is not about Courtney Lee. It's not about Lance Thomas. It's not about... Don't forget uh, about Jared Jack. Jared Jack, right, Jared Jack. It's not about these guys. You're in a you're in a position where you're, you're, you've got a, a great young player in Kristaps Porzingis and some other you know, potentially good young players in, in Ila Keenan and Hernan Gomez. And, and like, 
that's where it should have been. And instead, they were investing all this time in, in veterans. Now, if you're Hornacek, you can't almost blame him for doing that because if you're going to be judged on wins and losses and you might get fired, you're going to play the veterans. Every coach would do that. But this is where it comes to organizational uh, unity of purpose and clarity. And if they were all on the same page, what would have happened and what should have happened in my mind is the front office tells the coach at the beginning of the season, listen, this year's about development. This year's about getting our young players as much meaningful experience as necessary and making sure that, that we are moving forward. We, we can't win anyway. We're not chasing the eighth seed anymore. And instead, what they did was they said, we're going to decide to chase the eighth seed. And the message that sends is that Hornacek's going to play the veterans and not the young guys. A, a healthy organization would have had everyone on the same page and realizing that at that moment in time, uh, the long-term focus was what was necessary and the short-term losing was what was necessary. And that didn't happen. So when we talk about organizational culture and whether things have truly changed and whether Jim Dolan still matters in all this just because he's suddenly quiet, I bring into account all of that. And then, by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there as, as the, the grenade in the conversation. Like, Wasn't it like 18 months ago that he tossed Charles Oakley? Like, That was that ugly. That's, that's that I've been as a Nick fan. I could say this for since I was nine years old. I'm 35. That was probably the ugliest moment. Um, I think for a lot of Knicks fans, true Knicks fans, Knicks fans who've been with the team for a very long time. So and it, I agree and it may with not, you. yeah, and it may not speak to you know the other things like okay, that has nothing to do with whether or not he's letting Steve Mills and Scott Perry do their job. It has nothing to do with um, you know any other basketball operations decisions, but it still speaks to. The fact that that the owner of this franchise is a petty, thin-skinned person who is easily set off, who lashes out at his critics constantly. We, you alluded to the to the WFAN thing, and, and that comes after there was the whole Deadspin story with the the season ticket holder who had written to him yep. and said, "You suck, sell the team," and he emails back, "You're, you're accusing the guy of being an alcoholic," and the guy who accosted him on the street and said, "Sell the team," and he accused that guy of being an alcoholic, and like it's all ugly. It, so those things have not gone away. And again, they may mean nothing when it comes to Kevin Durant or free agents. It may mean absolutely nothing. To me, as somebody who has seen all this and witnessed all that, I, th that would concern me before I sign up to be your coach, your GM, or your max player. I, I, I think it's reasonable. Um, but not everybody will consider that. So like I always caveat this. Like It's, it's my impression of it. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's how a player is going to decide these things. I I listen. I think you hit the nail on the head. And anybody who pretends they know what Durant is is looking for, I think, is kidding themselves. As a admittedly biased, again, glass half full Knicks fan, here's how I look at the last year, and you know, take this for what it what it's worth. I think it was a transitional year. Uh, I think Perry came in and decided he was going to take some time to assess things. Um, and I also think it's at least worth noting that he was taking over the job. Of a, well, technically, he was taking over Steve Mills' job, but essentially, he was taking over for Phil Jackson, who was a guy who dictated, um, you know, coaching or at least tried to from the executive's office. So when I think about, well, could there have been more done from, uh, you know, the front office position last year to direct Hornacek to play the younger players? I wonder if that um, pre-existing tension wasn't at least a little bit on their minds. Um, that being said, um, look, I agree with you. One year or 18 months, whatever it's been, 16 months, I think, should not wipe away the previous 16 or 17, whatever it's been, years. Um, however, at this point in time, we gave them that year, Knicks fans gave them that year to say, okay, let's see if they have an idea of what's going on. And then since that kind of first year ended, and this, I'm going to put it from like this offseason forward, has continued going, it seems like things are continuing to progress in the right direction, which I guess when, and again, it goes back to the PTSD thing, when you've been kind of kicked and, and you you look behind your shoulder at every loud noise, um, when you get some peace of mind and some encouragement, you're going to latch on to that. And I think I speak for a lot of Knicks fans in saying, yeah, we are. But I, I, I don't know that it's completely, you know, a ridiculous assumption to think that, look, when he stays out of things, when Dolan is not there, when he is not in the stands a few rows from Charles Oakley, you know what? 
Um, maybe this thing can continue to go in the right direction. And, and look, the Oakley thing happened, but I would challenge anybody to find an organization that, Oakley aside, has been you know better at uh, keeping in touch with its ex-players and respecting its greats and, and all of that stuff. And obviously, Fisdale's bringing everybody in this year, so that's a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so... I, I, which is kind of why I phrased the question, how long does it take? And I, you know what? I'll give you this. It should take more than 16 months. After 16 years, 16 months is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> but can we at least agree that I, I don't think, given what we've seen in that short time, I, I can't in good conscience say that all hope is lost just because the owner remains the same. I would never say all hope is lost. Like, that's too bleak even for me. Um, <laughs> Which is, okay, I got somewhere with you. There you go. I, I mean, I'm cynical. I ain't that cynical. Um, uh. Listen, um, no, I, 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 I probably have said more than once that I don't think the Knicks will ever be a, a great team in, until Dolan sells. I probably have said that, and, yeah. I, and I, I probably 90% mean that because the fact is you can be a bad owner and end up winning anyway, and I think Dan Gilbert in Cleveland is an example of that. Um, I, 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 you know, he's, you know, they've had, um, four GMs in the last 10 years. He's never renewed a guy. Um, and you and know, he, he, he's one thing that Dolan isn't, which is cheap. So throw that out there. Well, no, no, but, but Gilbert, once he got, when, when LeBron came back, Gilbert spent like crazy. I mean, he, they, they've had a bigger luxury right. tax bill than anybody. Um, um yeah, so they, they've spent, no, like just spending like that. That's a big, a misnomer about owners, like just having an owner that's willing to spend. Yeah, most of them these days are willing to, I think more than not, because most of them are billionaires now totally. and it's not across the board. Um, but just being willing to spend doesn't mean anything if you're not spending smartly or if you're not hiring the right people to decide how to spend it. It could be so, a detriment, actually. It, it, it can be. And in fact, throughout the 2000s, it was like that was the that, you know, the Knicks were in the luxury tax perpetually. Um, for the early two mid, well, all the two thousands until whenever Donnie blew it up, yeah. like that was that's just where they were. Um, so it was it was it was an impediment. It was actually backfiring. Um, he, what's going in the right direction is is this: they have made um, some good personnel moves. They have, I think, hired a very promising coach in Fizdale. And let's be honest, we all love Fizdale, but you know his track record as a head coach is very short. We don't really know for sure. Oh, it's but too early player- to say. Yeah. yeah, he's a player's coach. He's got a, a great charisma about him and a great empathy about him, a great uh, just vibe about him. And I think uh, you know players are drawn to that, and he will be an absolute asset in free agency next summer. I do think, again, I don't mean to be snarky in saying this, you got to keep the owner out of the room because he'll ruin it. Um, it, it, it Jim Dolan doesn't project well, like, even as a personality. that He's not, he's not going to impress you. Steve Ballmer will. You know, and that comes through with, in the piece 100%, and I think that's the biggest takeaway from it. Yeah, he's, The guy's just incredibly engaging. He, he is – an owner can, can be an asset, can be a detriment, can be somewhere in the middle. Like Bomber is definitely in the, in the asset uh, category for owners when it comes to a pitch meeting. Um, Although so, the line about Doc was not – and you alluded – you said it on, on Bill's <laughs> podcast. That wasn't a great line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not I, I did not see that one coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, Credit for credit for candor. I always appreciate when people are honest. Um, but uh, so the things have gotten right. Like I say, I liked the hire. Um, people around the league, I, I, I defer to the judgment of the basketball experts when it comes to personnel, right? Like I'm not going to tell you that Kevin Knox was a great pick based on my judgment. I, I, we don't know. And most of us who are, who are reporters, I think, we're, you know – I don't consider myself, I'll just say, speak for myself, I don't consider myself an expert basketball scout. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And especially when guys are coming out of college, I, I look at the, the track record of the actual basketball experts and they're not getting it right either because the people screw up the draft every year. Um, so I'll just say this. People I trust and respect in the league, um, they like the Kevin Knox pick. Not sure exactly what his ceiling is or, or what he'll become. And, and it's still very early and he hasn't been able to, to, to play much, obviously, because he was hurt. Um, but they liked the pick. They liked the Mitchell Robinson pick. Um, I just talked to a scout earlier today, just raving about Alonzo Trier, like in the near term says Trier is the best young guy they've got. Um, and Frank Nielakina, the jury is out. Um, there's been some positives. There's been, there's certainly some areas of concern. So they've, they've, they've made some decent picks. Um, finding guys like Alonzo Trier 
is is huge. Like the good teams find those guys, right? Exactly. And good teams Knicks, win on the fringes. Right. One of the things I've, I've thought about the Knicks that's occurred to me over the last several years is, my gosh, has anybody come here and actually launched their career here? Like who's come here? Jeremy Lin, and then they've probably showed him the door. But um, Ooh, it's but, been a while. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but guys don't develop here. And you look across. You know, I know Knicks fans will hate me making the Nets uh, comparison, but my gosh. The, the, the guy, like, they, they, they drafted Karis LeVert. He was a, a risky pick. He's now turning into a stud. Jared Allen's looking really good. Spencer Dinwiddie started, like, got launched his career here, basically, after being cast aside by teams. Joe Harris, same thing, after being cast aside by other teams. Like, Kenny Atkinson is doing a really great job of developing guys, and the Knicks have not been known for finding, developing, and improving guys. And here you've got a guy in Trier who's, like, really looking like an asset, like a great find and, and a keeper. Um, and let's and, see how and, they do with them. And let's, we'll have to see how they do. Um, and so there are definitely those positive signs. On the, the negative side, I would say signing Tim Hardaway Jr. to the contract that they did and doing it before they'd ever saw, uh, hired Scott Perry, is, is that's bad uh, business practice. Like yeah. that, 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 that was not a, a, a good can I Can I jump in for a second? I have been yep. one of the bigger Tim Hardaway Jr. critics um, on – Twitter on Nick's Twitter and the the blogosphere, whatever you want to say, um, because his defense almost takes away um, most of the good stuff he does on offense. That being said, I thought it, to call it a terrible contract with what he's doing this year went a little far, and I think that got under some Knicks fans' skin. It 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 did, and listen, um, his his numbers look pretty good right now, but we are. 11 games in, yeah. is it? After today, it'll be 13. It's 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 12? early. Right. 11 games that he's played. Oh, yes, you're right, because he, uh, he missed one is, game. His scoring is up, but his effective field goal percentage is about the same as it was last year. His, his two-point percentage is actually down from last year. His scoring is up because his shots are up, because Porzingis isn't there, and there's nobody else on this team who can really score. So that he's averaging 24 points a game, and listen, again – this is not just me talking. This is having canvassed some folks um, over the last couple of days in, in just gathering Nick's intel. Like, people look at what Tim Hardaway is doing and saying, okay, that's fine. And certainly his three-point percentage is, is at, a, at a career high right now. But no one's convinced that suddenly he's like a borderline all-star or anything. And, in fact, the last guy I talked to earlier today, the same scout, was saying that He's a sixth man on a good team. That's I've been I've literally go back in any of my mentions. Um, I've been preaching Tim Hardaway Jr. future sixth man. Now, obviously, you don't want to be paying your sixth man seventeen million dollars, and I think that's where the terrible contract line probably came from. Um, I, I just to me the the higher usage uh, and he's almost thirty usage rate, which is obviously up there, um, kind of makes up for the fact that his his effective field goal percentage is on the lower side. But I hear you. I, I yeah, totally look, hear you. he's. I would say this about Tim Hardaway Jr. He's fine. He's fine. He's, yeah. He's, he's a he's a slightly above average shooting guard, but probably nothing more than that. And you know, you've seen it as a Knicks fan. There are a lot of times where it, it's my gosh, pass the ball. Like he's just he put, he gets the blinders on. Um, his his assists are up a little bit this year. That's a good sign so far. But again, we're eleven games in. So to to say that a contract that even Knicks fans thought was a bad contract is suddenly good based on eleven games of this season, let's slow down a little bit. Um, and I, I know people – I'm going to take uh, one quick uh, opportunity here to, to respond to something that somebody hit me with on Twitter, which is sure. why is his contract bad and Gallinari's is good? Well, Gallinari's is one year shorter because they're both two years, but Tim Hardaway Jr. has got an option, a player option that I think is likely to be picked up. So um, there's one. Also, Gallinari's actually a better player. Again, personnel folks around the NBA would tell you Gallinari's the better, more valuable player. Um, and Gallinari has, you know, the, the asterisk on him is that he gets hurt a lot. But when, when healthy, he's a better, more valuable player, more efficient player. And, you know, I, I, I stand by the fact that Hardaway Jr.'s contract between the two is, is the one that I would categorize as worse. I I think it's – I mean, listen, you're talking to, to people that know more about basketball or they've forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. Um, I, I think it's a – Hardaway Jr.'s at this point is a net neutral contract at best – um, Gallo, yeah, I mean, because of he does know what he's doing on defense. I just don't know that even um, on a or if he was on a good team um, that was actually competing for something in the playoffs, 
you know, let's say the Clippers are trying to unload him this offseason. I don't know that he can survive defensively against some of these, um, the really upper echelon teams in the league, but I'll, I'll give you that those two contracts are maybe on par with each other. Um, the last thing I want to just hit on, um, Briefly, unless there's, unless there's anything else you wanted to hit on. Um, no, a couple, couple stray things because I jotted down some notes. Sure, please, absolutely. For the purpose of the podcast. I would say that um, among the other things that are like in the, in the negative column of the last year, stretching Joe Kim Noah, almost every cap expert out there and other GMs think was a bad move. It is going to hamstring them in future years potentially. So that like and when we're talking about how, are they moving forward, are they doing things uh, smart, you know, smarter, better than they used to. That one is obviously certainly questionable. And they, look, they were a little bit over a barrel. It was a, a, a terrible situation, and he clearly was pressuring to to, to be set free. But um, yeah, and just cutting him meant would have meant you know other issues cap wise next summer. But still, that one goes down in the in the at least questionable column. I think that's um, fair. Um, and, I think everybody, different people have different views on that. We could sit here. Yeah, um, talking yeah we don't want to get, yeah, no. get <laughs> cap geeky, you know, no. um, but, but, and, and, and going back to last season, you know, even things like signing Trey Burke, acquiring Emmanuel Moody, I don't mind the idea that you're taking flyers on guys who you have minimal obligation to and are worth a flyer. And you're just trying to, yeah, try everything. Let's, don't leave any stone un, uh, unturned. Like, go for it. But they invested so much in those guys, I think it clouded uh, further the, the Nilakina situation and and potentially, you know, uh, you know, marginalized him a little bit in a way that I that I didn't think made sense given where they were. So it's just like a lot of it's, it's some of these are just very little things. But if you're if we're evaluating what they've done over the last year, that should give hope and or pause. That you know, there's the complete list. But like I say, people like what they've been doing personnel-wise. They like the players that they've picked up, whether it's in the draft or guys like Trier. Um, there's there's certainly a better sense of what their direction is right now. And you know, ultimately, the the biggest wild card for the entire Knicks near-term future is is Porzingis's health. And and there's not a person on earth who can tell you what that's going to be. Yeah. Um. You know. I'm I'm happy you brought up Nilakina and and also Hardaway because I think the two biggest touchstones for this team in terms of things that I'm going to be curious watching as a as a what I consider an informed fan moving forward are how much they continue to make an effort to develop him at point guard and you know as we were kind of alluding to if they have an opportunity to move on from Hardaway's contract um, do they do that if the opportunity should present itself and and what would they get back so I'm happy you brought those up listen I agree. Um, it is it's been a mixed bag um but you know as you know better than anyone around these parts a mixed bag is um a bag that's better than the bags in many other years um <laughs> so we'll take it uh so the the last thing i guess and i'll i'll end with this you had um in your piece um a note about the Blake Griffin um free agency presentation extravaganza um, which I think will uh, did Zach Lowe officially induct that into the NBA wing of absurdities? The, <laughs> if he didn't, he should. I mean, he probably did. It needs a wing if it if it uh, if it doesn't have one already. Um, you know, and you and I was reading that, and I it, my thought was this: I was like, well, you know, this is interesting. This is a, and I I totally get where you're coming from. Um, a piece about how a guy like Kevin Durant might come to the Clippers and, and, you know, meet Bomber and kind of get enamored with this whole positivity about the organization and, and the whole thing. But then I'm thinking, well, you know, if he's going there and, and it's that, you know, it's the free agent meeting, I'm sure they're going to pull out all the stops, you know, might he not think in the back of his mind, well, hmm, I wonder if this is some of the stuff that they, they did with Blake, who then they, they shipped out, whatever it was, a few months later. Um you know, and then because I'm a crazy fan, my my mind inevitably reached over to the Knicks, and I'm like, well, you know, I wonder, I wonder why, and not that the Knicks don't get credit because any Knicks fan who says, oh, people don't cover our team or cover the positive things that we're doing, come on, you're kidding yourself. There's a lot of positive Knicks stories out there this year, um, but from a perspective of like the front office and what what they bring to the table. It's the only all African American front office in basketball, first in, in history, with a, a black coach in a league that is over seventy five percent 
um, you know, players of color. And I'm thinking to myself, well, isn't that kind of not an advantage because, you know, I think that's the wrong term, but I wonder if players don't think about that and think about the fact that for all of Dolan's faults, and again, we've gone, you've gone through them very well. Um, he has empowered this group of guys. Um, so I just, I kind of thought of that kind of dichotomy in my head and I just, you know, I wanted to toss that out at you and see if you had any, any thoughts. Um, so there's a couple different things in there. There's the, the, uh, the progressive, uh, appearance of, of the front office and the, 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 um, and the, there was the Blake Griffin thing and whether that, um, is an issue for players. Um, I'll take the, the second one first. I don't know that players look at that. I don't know that they're going to look at and, and say, you know, you know, wow, how great it is that this organization has, you know, black team president, black GM, black coach. Like it, it, it may, it may occur to them that that's unique. Um, and, that may be on, on some levels, you know, just, just a, a subconscious, uh, you know, check in the positives column. It's not going to be, it's not going to mean much when it comes to choosing a team, right? Like there's, you know, players, generally speaking, players choose their team, especially the superstars, you know, the money's going to be the same almost everywhere because of the way the max contracts work. So it becomes things, you know, market size. Is it a city you want to live in? If you're married with kids, you know, what's it like for schools or whatever? How's it going to be to, for your family to live there? What, you know, if you're a lesser player, um, you know, anything below superstar now, it's uh, what's my role? What are my minutes? Um, all these other things that factor in. And then somewhere in the background there, you know, probably from your agent, there might be some consideration about, well, listen, you know, I, I, I trust this owner or I don't trust this owner or I like this front office or I don't like this front office or I think they're on the right track or, man, I've looked at their cap situation and they're never going to be able to get you help. Like there's all that other stuff that will come into it, right? Um, but I don't think the, the 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 makeup of the front office in terms of, of like, I, like I say, they could look at it and say, well, it's great that they've had this, this historic um, – uh, assemblage of, of African-American leaders leading the front office. I, I don't think that that's going to be a, a, I don't think it's going to enter into the thought process as, as a free agent makes a decision. Um, and again, if anything, if I were an agent advising a player about teams and about how to evaluate the front office, I'm going to look at track record of the front office and of the guys running that front office and, and, and how well they've done at, at, acquiring personnel how do they make good trades do they draft well yeah have hired good people and i think the jury's still out on the knicks front office in a lot of ways there scott perry's own record and his record is far more extensive than steve mills oh at other teams it's it's spotty i I would agree with you the only thing i'll throw in there is i thought it was nice sign that they got uh who had other options and even a guy like noah vonley again someone who could have gone to the spurs obviously great organization you know, they both chose the Knicks this offseason, which I don't think we could completely gloss over, but I, I hear what you're saying. Well, Scott drafted his own in Orlando, right? So, yes, very you know, true. Um, and and it, it, it's possible he's made the same mistake twice, by the way. <laughs> it um, is. The jury's uh, very much out on his own, yeah. So um, in terms of the Blake Griffin thing, it would be fair if a player raised had that question mark in their head, like, man, I can't believe you went, you know, did backflips and put on this whole ridiculous show for Blake Griffin about how he was going to ha- have his jersey retired here and then you trade him a few months later. But listen, players are realists. They all like th- that whole it's a business thing. Like everybody it's knows it. Like it, 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 it cuts both ways, organizations and players. Everybody knows it. I don't think anybody is going to look at that and say, well, you can't trust the Clippers because they traded Blake Griffin. I mean, I think, you know, I think that that's just um, that that's just the league and and Guys understand it. I don't think that would hurt. Um, I think something like, you know, the, the, the way that Phil Jackson was kind of killing Carmelo before they, and making him miserable enough to want to be traded, that that's a concern. And Phil's not there anymore, so it may not be. But, again, that was Dolan's guy. He empowered him. So if we're going to bring up the Blake Griffin thing, if, if it's going to cut both ways, I'm going to say, well, you know, a player might just as, as, as much be concerned with um, – a team that allows its front office to, you know, uh, take shots publicly uh, at its franchise star. So, um, but again, whether any of this matters, it's all fun for us to discuss. Whether any of it ultimately matters as players are considering their options next summer or any summer, it, it, it's in the eye of, of the beholder. It's, it depends on the player. 
I think that's uh, a perfect way to close things out. Well, actually, no, let me ask you this. Uh, gut feeling, where do you think KD signs? <laughs> gut feeling. I, I, I really, I, I don't have a gut feeling. Okay, uh, that's, that is a gut feeling if you don't have one. I, well, I, I, the most rational thing, and I, you know, when I was on with, with Simmons, this, you know, I, I said this, like, us as, as outsiders, as, especially as media people, and as people who consider the historical scope of the game, like, it's easy for us to say, stay there, win a third championship, maybe a fourth and a fifth, be one, uh, a part of one of the all-time great teams, go down in history. Like, we think of things that way. Mm-hmm. But the player is thinking about, you know, well, I've won a couple championships and I've been finals MVP and maybe I'd like a different challenge. Like I thought it was crazy for Kyrie Irving to leave LeBron. And now a year later, I kind of think now I kind of understand it. And I said this on Simmons podcast, like if he felt like, you know, I I now have the latitude because I have a title in hand to go do something different and give myself room to grow as a player and as a leader. And I need somewhere else to do it. That's not in a, in a locker room with LeBron. Okay. And if LeBron needed to leave my, uh, leave Cleveland, because he was never going to win a title there after the first stint and had to go to Miami. Like, I defended him the moment that happened. I wasn't the one who killed LeBron for that. I, I totally got it. You need other stars to win championships in this league, and Cleveland was never going to get them. Just weren't. So, but the point is players in this age think of their, their careers sometimes in, in chapters and in terms of, well, this four-year span is about personal growth, and this four-year span is about professional growth, and this four-year span is about building my media empire – um, <laughs> That's a or, good way to put it. You know, they're, it, they, it's just it's just different. And so I look at it and think Kevin Durant should absolutely want to stay with the Warriors, a team that he went to in, in large part because they play a beautiful brand of, of, self, uh, of, of unselfish basketball. Um, they, they, they play in a joyous way. So that whole team, the vibe around the Warriors is so positive. And, and again, I said it's on Bill's podcast. It's not just because they're winning. That certainly helps. It's It's the people. It's the culture that they've created, that they've cultivated. And that's a fun place to be if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, if you're a media person covering them. Um, it, it, like that, he has been around long enough, Kevin Durant, and having seen how uptight things were in Oklahoma, and my gosh, is, is that an uptight organization, he clearly prefers the looseness, the freedom that he has with the Warriors. Those podcasts he's done with Simmons, where they're just hanging out, drinking a bottle of wine and he's just shooting the shit. Yeah, those and, are great. And dropping F-bombs and just being himself. He could never be that guy while he was playing Oklahoma. And again, I don't want to bring it back to this, but the Knicks have always been more on the uptight side. Does Kevin Durant, after having lived through Oklahoma, want to go to, to New York and be part of an organization, that, again, that is, is really kind of, of you know, uptight? Um so I don't know. I, I think staying with the Warriors, with the talent they have, with the atmosphere they have, with the chance for history, with a new arena coming online in San Francisco for next season, um, I can't imagine why anybody would want to leave that unless it's just a matter of I need a new challenge and I'm tired of people saying that I was just riding the bandwagon or, or that, it, that I had it easy because I joined these guys and I, I need to go prove something else somewhere else. Um, and that's possible, and that's the part that none of us can know for sure is, is where his head is at with regard to to what matters most for this next stage of his career, which maybe is the last stage. Howard, you have given me an hour of your time um, to say I am indebted to you would be an understatement. Um, uh, no, no. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, listen, if you are, I can't imagine you would be, but if someone that does not follow Howard Beck on Twitter, um, read everything that he writes for Bleacher Report, um, you are doing yourself a massive disservice. There uh, is really nobody better out there covering the NBA today. Despite the fact that he gets under Knicks fans' skin, it keeps us fresh. It keeps us, you know, sharp. We really we owe you a debt of gratitude, Howard, for that. You know, we're we're New Yorkers. We have to be tough, right? We have to be thick skinned. Oh, for sure. I've been here for fourteen years now, so you know, I can take it. I, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm def- I'm definitely used to it. And uh, no, thank you for all the kind words and, and for for the, the plug. And uh, appreciate that. And it's it's uh, no, it's been fun. Like the the, the Knicks. Listen, I could be uh, off the beat for the last five years, and I still end up uh, spending an, an immense amount of time talking about them because they're always fascinating. They're always worth discussing, always fun to talk about, and I always enjoy talking about it with Knicks fans because, uh, you know, I'm not pandering here. Knicks fans are incredibly passionate and very well informed, with a few exceptions um, here and there. <laughs> this but, is true. 
but I no, I, I enjoy the back and forth on Twitter. Uh, I don't respond as much as I used to because I, I, I try not to allow my day to get uh, just completely eaten up by Twitter. But um, but I do read all of it, and I appreciate the feedback from folks, and I appreciated even a lot of the the uh, uh, you know clapbacks that were coming at me yesterday after Simmons' podcast. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's all good. Well, you're great at what you do, and uh, you're an asset to you know the media that are that are covering the sport. So I appreciate the time. Um, I hope this isn't the last time. Maybe if the Knicks actually do stay on this road, that my overflowing glass thinks that they will. Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have you on again. How about this? If the Knicks win a championship and James Dolan is the owner, will you come back on this pod again? <laughs> I'd like to think that I'll probably do this again before that happens. But sure, <laughs> that, in the event of that, let's say it's a certainty, but feel free anytime in between now and whenever that date may be. You're the man, Howard. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and everybody listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, go check out Nick's Film School, and uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Be well.